0: Welcome to Twice Five Miles Radio, fertile ground for conversations worth listening to and remembering. I'm your host, James Nave, WPVM-FM out of Asheville, North Carolina, aired this show first in 2022 during the summer after my good friend Mike Odom came over to my place and we sat down for an interview. My front door was open and we were looking out on summer in Taos. It's now January 2023 and earlier today I got the sad news that Mike had left this world. Those who knew Mike fondly called him Cowboy Mike. Anyone who knew Mike would tell you that he was the most mannerly, generous, gracious, sensitive, insightful, intellectual, philosophical person they had ever met. He was a West Texas man and he grew up on a cattle ranch and I suppose why not? That's why people called him Cowboy Mike. Gracious often is the word people would use to describe Mike and even now today after I got the news I was talking about Mike with my friend Allegra and we kept saying gracious, gracious, Mike was such a gracious man. So I'm reposting this show now as a way of acknowledging Cowboy Mike, as a way of saying thank you to him for all that he did for the Taos community, all the people who knew him, all the people he touched, and also as a way for his friends to hear his voice and to remember him. I introduced Cowboy Mike for the first time with a fair number of superlatives about how much I thought he had contributed to the Taos community and life in general. And after I praised him, I welcomed him to the show, and he thanked me. And then he went on. So that's where we will begin. Here's Cowboy Mike.
1: Appreciate that, <laughs> and uh, I think you're embellishing a little bit, but that's all right. Well, I...
0: <laughs> if you can't embellish, what can you do? <laughs> that's right. I mean, you have have put a saddle on a horse in the past, well, yes, and I you have mended a fence. And that, I'll bet that's, you that's, that's, I, that's I,
1: all true. I, I that's bet you played true.
0: a few musical tunes. Yeah. Plus, who knows I'm just what starting. else?
1: I'm just starting on the cello. Uh, anyway, it, it's something that's enjoyable for me and uh, something at this stage in my life that uh, I find it's very um, stimulating, also. You know, it keeps your mind learning to read. And I don't know how to read music, but I am learning, and that's uh, somewhat of a challenge. But still, and yet, uh, I'm really enjoying it now.
0: I'd like for you to reflect on stages of life you said at this stage of life yes what kind of experiences do you reflect back on throughout your life that are now informing you in your 70s you and I are both in the same decade yes that's
1: 70s. correct yes I'm the 78 s- now
0: yes. the stages mm-hmm. how does that work for you Do the previous stages give you power, inform how you stand now. You know, we have grief, we have joy, we have love, we have the leaving behind. How does that work?
1: Yeah, you know, Nave, I I, uh, was raised in the country, in Texas, uh, on a farm and a ranch. My dad ran uh, a lot of cattle and did a lot of farming, too. Um, One thing, I think, as I've grown older, that part of my life, I look back on with some fondness and I look back on as a real learning period in my life, uh, you know, about hard work and what it takes to uh, be out in uh, nature, so to speak, making one's living and just enjoying the outside. I find now, as I've grown older, I'm a vegetarian. I no longer uh, involved in the cattle business whatsoever. That has no interest. My sister is in the cattle business, and of course she found it hard to believe that I was a vegetarian. But, uh, And I did this not only for health but for ethical reasons. As I've grown older, one's perspective of life, one finds that they are maybe... On a different path than what they started out and what they anticipated their path being in life. Also, along those lines, I, I certainly don't try to tell my sister to get out of the cattle business or anything. This is strictly for me. Is why that I, I chose, uh, you know, not to eat meat in Texas. From uh, they're all all the guys I was raised with, all the guys I know. They're all still in the cattle business, or oil business, and I no longer am in the oil business nor want anything to do with the oil business. I've sold all my mineral interest and... anyway, life has changed as I've gotten gotten older. Uh, Navi.
0: Uh, when did the notion to become a vegetarian start to take hold?
1: Uh, some time ago, I would say in the last eight years, something like that. I was thinking about it, and then finally just decided, because I know the cattle business inside and out. I ran steers, I owned a feedlot, I uh, calved out heifers, I ran a mother cow herd, all that, all facets, except the packing industry. I was not involved in the packing industry, but knowing all the facets of it, I look back and sometimes I think, wow, why didn't I see it then, but I didn't see it then? Yes, it's nothing better than be riding horseback out on some really good spring day when it's rained and you can see the green grass and the flowers and everything, and and that's idyllic for the cattle uh, as well. the other side of it, these are creatures that have feelings that I think, after Being around all types of animals, when I say all types, I'm talking about domestic animals, you know, dogs, cats, things like that. You know, they all have feelings. I feel like they have emotions that are akin much like our emotions. And so consequently, in that respect, is what changed my viewpoint about everything.
0: I know that we can't scientifically prove how a cow thinks. Yeah. That said, how did you come to that conclusion? Did you feel like you were able to intuit what these animals were feeling? Yes, I did.
1: Uh, you know, and I, I know that may sound strange to a lot of people, but yeah, I was around working cattle enough that yes, uh, I could uh, look know at a cow, not only. You know, tell her age or something like that. But also, I, I her emotions. Uh, uh, I felt that. Now, the actual communicating, it was uh, on my end of it that I knew. I don't know that they knew so much what I was trying to communicate. But it was a silence. You know, I wasn't talking, singing, or anything like that to them, but I felt like that uh, when I did look at an animal and and it was looking at me, if I was wanting cattle to go in the pen or go out of the pen or, or move into another pen or something like that, I didn't have to Raise my voice and hoop or holler or anything like that. A lot of times, I would just make a hand motion, and then w- would respond in that respect. So th- that's how I developed it uh, or developed, uh, you know, my feelings about that.
0: So as you started to think about this, and as time went on, you began to realize I'm not comfortable consuming this, these yeah. creatures because I know something is going on that's similar to what's going on with me.
1: Yeah, and and this was a long time coming. Uh, uh, in my, I got out of the cattle biz, the last set of cattle I had in pastures, I calved out 2,500 heifers. Uh, and uh, this was a two year project. And uh, I got out of the cattle business, had uh, decided that I was going to do something else. And this stayed with me all of the uh, times that I saw pain, fear, or the emotions that that are uh, involved in in a creature, in being, you know, the love of a mother calf or calf and the separation of them and everything. Well, you know, I I thought about it some at the time, but uh, it didn't really impress on me until I got into my 70s. Looking back, this is all in retrospect. became Christianized, so to speak, you know, in my old age about these things. But from 40 to 70, I. Less, I'm just using that figuratively, uh, you know, roughly as as time period that, that uh, I thought about it. And then as I did become more mature and older in my 50s and then in my early 60s, you know, I, I really uh, uh, just enjoyed being in nature, period. Really developed an affinity for just hiking, being out, you know, not necessarily for being horseback or anything like that, but just to be outside. And then one observes animals in, in the wild and creatures in the wild, and I wasn't ever a hunter. Going back to my thoughts in Texas, the ranches are leased out for hunting. My area, it was just strictly for deer and sometimes for the dove, but uh, mostly deer hunting. It didn't ring true with me to shoot a deer or kill a deer or anything like that. And and all my friends were hunters, uh, but uh, it it didn't appeal to me. And and so this was a transition period, thinking of that and thinking back about in the cattle industry. And and then, you know, you see one, uh, if you look online or something like that, you see the cruelty involved in, in let's say, pork production where the hogs are just crammed together to fatten.
0: As someone who grew up around the cattle business and been involved in it, maybe you could help us to better understand from the business point of view why cows and the environment don't go together as well as maybe asparagus (laughs)
1: oh no i bet i've been out of the cattle you know business you know for 30 nearly 40 years so uh, and it's all changed obviously let's just take water for instance i think a lot about water and particularly now that uh, we are uh, suffering this drought in the southwest it looks like it may uh, Come down to: Are the farmers going to still be able to retain their land to raise alfalfa on or other crops on, or to or to graze their animals on or anything like that? If you look at the amount of water that not only uh, that's needed for the for corn. For, corn or sorghum production, something like that, or or for silage to feed the cattle. Just looking at that aspect, plus the consumption of the cattle uh, of water. To eat beef, it may become somewhat of a luxury item. It may may already be that part now. I mean, maybe just the price is going to uh, create a a situation where not many people can even afford hamburger meat.
0: That's interesting. I have a friend who used to work at a farm in western North Carolina called Hickory Nut Gap Farm. And this is an organic farm. They raise their cows properly so they don't have the same emotional trauma when they're slaughtered and all of that. uh
1: and, and,
0: And he was describing how they treat their animals. And it's all really up and up. And I asked the guy, I said, well, how much is an organic cow worth? I mean, mm-hmm. I'm such an idiot. I'm standing yeah. in Trader Joe's parking lot. We're having this conversation <laughs> in I don't know yeah. how much the cows cost, yeah. 600 bucks, yeah. whatever. And he said, well, no, no organic cow fully raised, ready for market is between 6,000 and 8,000 for the cow. Wow. Now I didn't know that. I have no idea. And then he said, it's somewhere up around $50,000 once the cow is fully dressed out and that means the leather's taken for the best boots the bones are ground for the dog yeah. food the the organic dog food the the steaks are cut and served on the finest new york plates mm-hmm. for 60 bucks a a plate, or a hundred bucks a plate, or something like that. I was stunned at the amount of money—fifty thousand. He said, "I may not have these figures right, and those people in the cattle business will know better than I." That said, I've never thought about how much water mm-hmm. it would take for a cow to get to the final resting place there on the plate in New yeah. York City. Yeah. Yes. I mean, we drink. half a gallon of water a day Mm -hmm. and you and I don't weigh what a cow weighs. I have no idea what a cow drinks per day.
1: Some of these smaller outfit are more perceptive on handling the cattle correctly in a more humane way and all that has changed since I was in it. It was just a, a pretty hard way of handling the animals and 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 again that that is all changing as people become more cognizant of the animal itself
0: even still the animal does end up on the plate in New York, and there's the empathy again.
1: Yeah, that's that's right. That's right, and that's the animal, uh, a cow, if it doesn't die, it is consumed in some manner. When I say die, die out in a pasture or something like that, but that's the ultimate course of a cow uh, or steer or heifer or whatever. They uh, are ultimately consumed in some manner, whether it's just Is the old downer cows that used to be at the auction sales? You know, they just went for dog meat or something like that, Mm -hmm. and the hide. And yes, uh, you are correct. The animal does ultimately uh, is raised to be consumed uh, in some manner.
0: And we have the cricket who's living here in the house singing at the moment. (laughs) Agree with you, I believe. So the cricket has a, a symphony of crickets agree with you. You said. Use the phrase Christianized mm-hmm. in your later life. Yeah. I've not heard that phrase. Mm-hmm. How does that play out? <laughs> what is Christianized? Oh, I, that, that, guess, I don't know whether it's
1: even a colloquialism. Uh, you know, you've heard the phrase maybe a come to Jesus meeting or something like that. Well, you know, it just meant uh, they saw the light on a particular situation has nothing to do with religion or anything like that other than the terms.
0: Well, I would like to think that Jesus may have felt the same way about cows that you do now. I don't know. <laughs>
1: well, I, I don't know. I think so probably. I hope so.
0: So what about your your spiritual approach to life? How does how does that work? And I know you've had you know, like all the rest of us, you've had some loss in your life and yeah. you've had some gain and yeah. some, you know, near misses mm-hmm. and you're still bright and shiny playing yeah. the cello. So yeah. what, <laughs> what keeps you balanced around your spiritual thinking? Interesting you'd ask that. For
1: organized religion, I'm usually adverse to that. My philosophy on that is everybody they can choose what they want to choose. How do they want to worship? If if they worship a, a god or believe in a god, and me personally, and I don't mind saying this, well, yes, I I believe in God, but it's more of a nature God, I guess. Maybe uh, 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 you know that uh, just being in nature, you know, it's. Pretty hard for me not to imagine there is some force, some energy, something there that, you know, has brought all this together. I don't think it was just by chance or anything. Back to uh, religion, I do believe in the principles of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, you know, helping uh, other people. I think that's important for all of us to uh, help the the marginalized, the less fortunate. And uh, that's that that's pretty well, you know, pretty well yet.
0: Well, on that natural, religious, spiritual note, this show airs in Asheville, amongst the beautiful Appalachian Mountains. And I grew up in the Appalachian Mountains. And there is is a sense of, of of holding that happens there. And out here in New Mexico, out here in Taos area, we all are able to look up at the mountains the sacred mountain yes and i know you and i live more or less in the same neighborhood so we have the it's a big mountain so we're not that far apart we see the same mountain yes for people here in taos listening to the show as well as people in Asheville, i'd love for you to reflect on the taos environment and how that has informed you over the years when you wake up in the morning and you hear the air or hear the coyotes or the magpies. Yeah. What's, it, what's it like and maybe describe it for those who maybe haven't experienced it. One of my best ways to do that
1: would be when you hear the coyotes, as you said, the magpies or just the birds chirping in the early morning. Uh, uh, yeah, it just uh, in being able to see these beautiful mountains, uh, I think it starts one's day. <laughs> in a better frame of mind to have that, so you know that's that's pretty well, you
0: know, it in a nutshell, Nave. What about Taos? How do you feel about this area?
1: It's been a healing place for me, and it's, it's been certainly a transition how I was raised and where I was raised, and uh, uh, I feel like this is more of a natural environment for me around the people here.
0: When we last had our conversation on this show you were talking about some of the service work you were doing with young people and I think somewhere down in Mexico you had a a, a project and I was talking to Allegra and she mentioned that you may still have some things going on like that. I would love for you to tell us about your engagement with that part of, of your life. I suspect it has something to do with that empathy that you referenced.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, yes, I've been working there in, in, uh, on the border and then down in Mexico for uh, the last, I think it's 11 years, uh, with the same individual. In fact, I just returned from Palomas, which is just right across the border from Columbus. Through her efforts and work and uh, just tenacity, we're able to, uh, on five days a week, we're feeding anywhere from 75 to 125 people, providing a meal for them. That includes the elderly, the the children, that uh, their mothers just don't have the means to feed them properly, and uh, and the mothers also. I mean, it's been very rewarding for me to, to be involved in this and to see this and 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 help with their education that's another thing we do is is uh, provide uh, their uniforms uh, their tuition if they can't afford it uh, for numbers of 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 children or young people there in in palomas
0: as you've been going down there all this time and working there we have so much discussion going on about the border problems quote unquote Mm -hmm. and the people coming up from the south trying to cross over. Everybody knows the general story of that that dilemma, I guess you could call it. What kind of changes have you experienced along the border in respect to the, the wall, the people coming? Mm-hmm. Have you noticed a different sense of it, or is it still the same rhythm that it's always been?
1: Well, there in Palomas, I haven't noticed... Uh, that was not a major crossing point for immigrants you know that were coming from Central America or or, or uh, uh, even further on down in South America perhaps. but uh, so it hasn't, uh, to my knowledge, now this is just to my knowledge and and, uh, and I'm not there on the ground that much. As you said, the rhythm hasn't changed that much. Esperanza, the lady I work with uh, uh, tried for a while to uh, provide um, a meal, coffee, you know, donuts, and a hot meal for for people that were that were coming there hoping to cross over. There weren't that many uh, people that were there that were at that time that were coming. Now I don't know. She hasn't mentioned, uh, and I haven't asked if there. Are any now that are being served, uh, you know, a meal or anything? So, uh, but uh, I think just a little ways away is waters, and I think that may have been major problems there.
0: Yeah. Insightful report because you have been there. You just came back. Yeah, I from just there. came back. You from didn't there. see. Thousands of people crowding the border, no. trying to get across. You no, went no. down and you no. s- to the village you've been going all along, and there are yeah. a few people there, but not a yeah. whole lot. The impression that we get through the news. Yes, you'd think a million people f- are flooding the border from from the Pacific to the Gulf of Mexico every single day, and that's just not the way it plays, is it?
1: Well, it's not in that particular location now. I, as I said, I, uh, you know, and I think maybe the further you go downriver, you know, into Texas, uh, maybe there's there's more there. And, I, you know, you read about, uh, or I have these camps, I think it's outside of Lareda and Nueva Laredo. Uh, people that have mast wanting to cross but certainly I didn't see any of that or have any knowledge of it in Palomas uh, and I don't and I can't specifically say about Juarez because I haven't been there uh,
0: and of course those big camps in those major crossing areas are tough and hard and oh man. just everything you can't possibly imagine unless you've seen it. I've not seen those camps. I haven't either. I have seen some areas in different parts of the world that were very, very crowded in the bigger, bigger mega cities, but not along the border. Now, I also heard you are looking for an opportunity to go to Ireland. (laughs) Yes, I am, and uh, let's see how that
1: plays out. But uh, that's one of the places that I haven't ever been. And I don't know why I'm waiting uh, this late in life to want to go to Ireland, but I I do want to spend some time in Ireland.
0: And what would you be looking for in Ireland? What's Uh, calling you?
1: uh, (laughs) Maybe rain right now. No, uh, in all seriousness, uh, uh, that uh, I think the uh, Celtic uh, religion uh, in the fourth and fifth centuries—that uh, kind of has an interest to me. So I'd like to, you know, see some of those sites and maybe some of the old churches or things like that that were built after after they got the religion started
0: there. What about that Celtic religion? interest you. Why are you drawn to that?
1: I don't know. I've just been reading a good bit about it and stimulated.
0: I sometimes facilitate a course, It's Never Too Late to Begin Again, based on a book written by Julia Cameron of the same title. And it's for people who are retired. We're we're not retired, you and I. We're just <laughs> still doing whatever we do. That's right. And eventually we won't do it anymore. Yes. But a lot of people do, do retire. And we started talking about the stages. And as we've talked about the different things that you've done, I still have that idea of the stages in mind, the, the youth leaving home and then finding the loved ones, raising the family, cycling through life all the way till, till yeah. now. And... When you think about the idea of beginning something new, like playing the cello or going to Ireland, how do you feel? Does it give you a sense of joy, completeness, curiosity? Maybe you you a little scared? How does it feel?
1: A spirit of a new adventure, apprehension somewhat. As I've gotten old, uh, I enjoy uh, the challenge i and I enjoy being around younger people, young people to you know uh, uh, to hear their ideas and be around their vibrancy it 's refreshing and inspiring to me to hear young people think about well you know they 're going to be here maybe hopefully another thirty or forty years, and what 's the world going to be like then for them and and what tact are they taking now to uh, uh, achieve their goals. I feed off of their ideas and in, in, in their directions and, and uh, see how it's uh, applicable to maybe what I might want to do.
0: What are some of the things the younger people have taught you?
1: Oh my goodness, they've taught me many, many, many things. I would find uh, facing what world is today. I don't know whether I would have been be that optimistic now if I were their age again you know knowing what can happen as, as you get older you know the technology has changed so much and, and I certainly haven't been able to keep up with a lot of it. How that's going to play out in the long run. Is it good or is it bad? I mean there's uh, two sides to that coin also.
0: Do you think these young people are able to have the stronger sense of optimism because they have so much information and are able to process it? I know often people in our age group and well, actually not our age group, but almost anybody over 40, many over 40 tend to not understand the 20 year olds anymore. Mm -hmm. Because it almost seems like they're living in a world that we can never touch, Mm -hmm. which is true. Mm -hmm. They're living in the digital world and we're living in the analog slash digital world. As one woman I spoke with once said, well, digital natives grew up with the digital proposition all around them. And anybody who didn't grow up in that arena we as digital natives consider them digital immigrants. <laughs> so we moved, we've moved, and we bring much yeah, of our right. analog yes. vibe with us to yes. the scene.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the young people that I'm referencing are are my grandchildren, you know, my niece, nieces, nephews, and and find that these people that, that I've talked to are looking with optimism for uh, a sense that we'll figure this out bound to be a solution to some of the problems that the world has if we can convince you older folks that <laughs> and I'm talking about myself and and you and uh, that climate change is in fact real, and we've got to do something now about it. Uh, That's where I think that uh, they show optimism, looking to the future and approaching it in a manner that we're all together in this. And these younger people seem to have, as I said, the ones that I visit with seem to have the the spirit of, yeah, we're all in this together and we've got to do something. We can't just take sides and say, yeah, maybe uh, we'll do that later on or something, but that's not the case. And, and They're taking the bull by the horn,
0: so to speak. You use the word political, and as you use it, you're using it in the broader sense of people coming together. And when we come together, there's a political aspect of our gathering, no matter how many people, large or small, unlike the kind of politics we talk about coming out of Washington. That's a different sort of political frame. Mm -hmm. But I think you're right to use the word political to describe this climate change crisis we're facing. We all have to come together as humans, and communicate in ways that will help us figure this out. Now, I do want to ask you, you said your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews, and we know because you've told us that you Mm -hmm. come from the ranching Mm -hmm. arena down in Texas. Now, I'm assuming that many of these nieces and nephews and grandchildren have similar background. How does that influence them? Interestingly,
1: their parents weren't, I guess maybe they'd worked too hard or something when they were kids. They they had no affinity for going back to the farm or to the ranch or anything like that. And they became uh, attorneys and what
0: have you. Uh, so then, the children that you're referencing, your, yes, your or, loved ones, the little yeah, ones in yeah, your life, yeah. the, they're, they're spread out across the country, and yes, they yes, have had, had their loved, educations yes, and yes, been.
1: Yes, I have one nephew that uh, is very interested in the ranch, uh, and my sister has the uh, family you know country that we had and he's there working with them but that's the only one the others are have, have no interest my children had no interest in it
0: and as we move around toward the end of our time together tell us just a little bit about your relationship with that cello i'm really curious oh, oh, your beginning you know you know, you
1: know actually I, i've really become quite fond of the cello perhaps it it has a life of its own. I don't know. I won't say that it does or doesn't. But, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I think it might. And so, yes, I, I'm, uh, uh, I'm just really uh, enjoying it and uh, uh, hope to get to the point where I can play a tune
0: for you. Does your cello have a name, and does it have I a back No,
1: it... I haven't named it yet, and I think I may in the future, but uh,
0: nothing I don't know. <laughs> did you buy it new, or did you buy it yeah, bought it.
1: No, uh, my, my instructor, teacher, man, she is wonderful. She went down and tried four different cellos to find the good sound, the best sound for the money, you know, so to speak, and it's not handmade.
0: It's just a cello that a guy in his 70s can learn to play on and eventually uh, name. Yeah,
1: and hopefully uh, will be the cello that stays with me, you know. I, I hope it's that quality and I hope we bond that well. God, I don't know what I mean by I see, saying that. That's about just this.
0: absolutely delightful. in fact you could write an essay, The Cello That Stays With Me by Mike Odom. <laughs> oh please. <let's, laughs> man, this, so this is enough. Here. As we as we close, what, what's up for you in the next year or so? Are you do you have anything on, on the on the boards?
1: No, no, just more work on the border and learning to play the cello and maybe a trip to Ireland.
0: Well, let's hope you see a leprechaun.
1: <laughs> that would be great. I, I would appreciate that.
0: Well, Mike, thank you so much for taking the time out of the day to.
1: Oh, Nava, you're more than welcome. I, it's been fun for me.
0: And that, my friends, was the interview I did with Cowboy Mike in 2022 during this summer. It was a sad piece of news to hear he's left us. I hope. Listening to his voice and hearing his absolutely beautiful, humorous way of viewing the world lifted your spirits a little bit. And if you if you did know Cowboy Mike, condolences. I know you miss him like the rest of us will miss him. And that's pretty much it for right now. Again, we'll all miss Cowboy Mike. So thank you for taking the time to listen to his voice once again. And this is Twice 5 Miles Radio. I'm your host, James Nave. Maybe we'll cross paths somewhere down the line. Till then, take care of yourself.